Okay, so today is Mother's Day, the 10th, and I chose out of a Proverbs, verse 19 for our proverb of the day. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. That's a great one, and boy, that can keep you out of trouble most of the time if you just learn not to say anything. That's the wise thing to do. Today's Mother's Day, and we're going to be talking today about a mother named Hannah. And that's a traditional, uh, traditional Mother's Day message you probably heard, but we're going to go a slightly different slant than maybe what you've heard before. Now, Hannah was a mother who was unable to have children, and uh, she wanted to be a mother so bad, but she just couldn't conceive. And she, her husband's name was Elkanah. And he, he very much loved um, Hannah in spite of the fact that she couldn't produce any children for him. And in their culture, it was very, very shameful for a woman not to be able to produce children. They just assumed that it was because of some sort of sin in her life or the sin of her parents. Obviously not true. Now, I want to give you some context before we get into the scriptures today. And even though um, he loved Hannah, after 10 years of marriage without a child, um, he took a second wife whose name was Penina. Now, um, in our culture, we go, say, what? What happened there? That's kind of odd. And we still kind of go, well, we, don't, we understand that that happened in the Old Testament, but we still kind of look at it kind of like, well, I don't know um, if that's such a good thing anyway. And um, so I'm going to share some things, and these are not from the scriptures. These are from something called the uh, Mishnah and the Midrash. Now, those are documents that, are, that are, would be common if, if, if you were Jewish. They have, of course, the Holy Scriptures, and then they have these commentaries. I would call them commentaries that are very ancient, and they were written by rabbis who said, here's how you understand the law, and here's how you apply the law. And the difference between those two is one was a topical study of of what was in the scripture, and the other one was kind of a narrative. And the narrative version, the Midrash, tells us some things that, are, that were oral traditions that were, that were handed down father to son, father to son, and eventually they wrote them down. And from that, we get some information about Penina. And I'm going to share a little bit here. And this is not scripture. It probably, to, to the Jewish people, this is, is not the word of God, but it's more than a commentary. It's somewhere in between. And uh, so here's, here's what we, would, we learned from there. She, um, um, uh, okay, so the, the deal was this. If you got married and you were unable to produce children after 10 years, the husband was allowed, or probably more accurately, compelled to take a second wife because he needed to honor Genesis 128, where God commanded, be fruitful and multiply. So they figured 10 years was it, if you, and by 10 years you had you got to get it, you got to get, got to try another way, so they would take a second wife. Now, wives, I'm sure, felt then like they do today. So all kinds of dynamics would come into that situation, and um, think about what was going on now with Hannah. She'd been unable to have a child, She'd been disappointed for years and years and years, and now a decade goes by, and the shame, and she's not, she knows she's innocent, but she's also disappointed because she's saying to herself, this isn't working, the year 9 gets here, the year 10 gets here, and she knows what's coming, and she watches her husband, the man she loves, the man she chose to spend her life with, take a second wife, and she's got to be thinking to herself now, he's got another wife because I'm not good enough. And she starts to crater in her own worth, in her own, in her own soul. And now, now Penina comes along, and she says, sure, I'll be his wife. And they, um, they start having, having children. But Penina also knows, you know, I'm married to this guy, but I'm not his first choice. In fact, he loves her more than he loves me. And i got to keep producing 
more sons so he'll love me more and love me more. And tradition has it that she ended up producing for him 10 sons and two daughters. And beyond that, we have some things in Scripture that would suggest to us that Penina was not a nice person. She's a terrible person because she ta- uh, tor- uh, t- tormented um, Hannah continually. Hey, you know, um, did you wash your kids behind their ears today? Did you meet them at the school bus? You know, things. She would constantly remind her, you don't have any kids. Just a terrible person. So, um, um, I, okay, now I want to circle back to, um, to us and to the here and now as I kind of get ready as we get into our passage here. Maybe some of you have, have wanted children and you're still waiting. And probably for some of us, it's not a child we're waiting for, but um, we're, we're wanting, there's something that we're waiting for, and we still haven't given birth to whatever that something is, um, and, and we want to give birth to that too. And uh, Mother's Day is, is, is a good time for, uh, for reflection upon the things that the Lord has put inside of all of us not just moms, the things and the desires that we feel and that, that we believe that God put inside of us, but that we have yet to see them show up in our lives. Okay, so we're going to be in 1 Samuel, starting in chapter 1, verse, verse 1, and I want to pray uh, before we get into this. This is God's word. It's always good to, to, to talk to the Lord. Lord, as we get into your word, we know that there's life here and we want to, to honor your word properly. So God, as we approach your word, we ask you to help us to see things here that you want us to see. And Lord, in these next few minutes, let your spirit speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 1 Samuel 1, verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramathame Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerohom, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. <laughs> I need to rest my tongue, okay? I mean, I thought about skipping verse 1 just because I didn't want to try all those names, but okay, so we got through that. <laughs> okay, but this is about this guy named Elkanah. And by the way, I think all of those names there are relevant because the Lord is talking about a specific guy. It's a specific dude. This is not just some guy somewhere. This is like a story about a specific person, and God is very, very personal with us. You and I are personally valued by name, just like Elkanah. Okay, verse 2. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Okay, we've already kind of set the stage about all of the drama involved in that. It's there's so much underneath the surface sometimes of Scripture. Verse 3. Now this man used to go up year by year from the city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Verse 4. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, by the way, the portions, part of that would be given back and that, that would be their portion. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her, her womb. Now, there's lots of teachings about that double portion. Um, you can look at that and say it was a favored portion, like it was the best cut of meat or a double portion. Um, but I'm sure to Hannah's viewpoint, he was basically saying, hey, Hannah, I, I know you're, you got this serious decades-long brokenheartedness about this. Would you be better if you got two Big Macs instead of one? Hey, I caught for you this delicious bass. 
Like, <laughs> wow. Does this fix it for you, Hannah? And I'm thinking, ooh. You know, Elkanah, not such a good try after all. But, I mean, at least he's trying. Verse 6, and her rival, talking about Penina now, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So here's Penina just being a terrible, mean person, picking on um, Hannah. So it went on year by year, and often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Okay, so Hannah is brokenhearted. She's crying. She's so upset she's got no appetite, and her husband's idea is, here, have two Big Macs. <laughs> this family's messed up. Okay, so verse 8. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? That's probably a reference to um, why, why the, the Jewish people believed that Penina had produced ten sons. And here's Elkanah making his best attempt to fix this, and he's botching things up. He's pointing out, hey, you're more important to me than, see the ten sons she gave me? You're more important to me than that. I don't think that's really ministering much to, to Hannah. Now, I, I think you've probably heard um, comments, maybe it generally circulates out there in culture, that, that men are, by nature, fixers. You know, we, you know, but one of the first things that you read if you pick up almost any book about, you know, how, how to make your marriage healthy is that women don't always want the man to fix their problems. You know, sometimes they just want you to sympathize. Sometimes they just want you to empathize and, um, with the problem that's at hand. Sometimes it's not always the right thing uh, to try to fix somebody's situation. Sometimes the best thing is to emphasize with the situation. I learned a long time ago that I'm not very good at some things, um, especially fixing plumbing. I mean, I've broken more parts, <laughs> made more leaks than I started with. It makes really no sense for me to try to do anything plumbing-wise. Um, and I mean, if, it's, if we get a leaky faucet at our house, I just figure that means we're supposed to sell the house and buy a new one. <laughs> and so anyway, we see in this passage, this guy is a fixer, by nature, and now he's frustrated because he can't fix the issue that is most important to the one he loves the most. And if you've ever been unable to get through to your child or um, lift the mood of your husband or your wife, then you know how frustrating it is when, when, when you can't fix something that's wrong with somebody that you care about in the deepest way. Elkanah is frustrated because he can't fix Hannah's problems, and Hannah is frustrated because she's got this long-time unfulfilled expectation. They're both frustrated. And today I want to speak to all the Elkanahs, um, the fixers, and I want to talk to the Hannahs, the people with this, these, these disappointing expect, disappointed expectations. To the fixers, to, to you, um, God wants to set you free from some weight that you were never intended to carry. And um, God's going to give you a new way to look at your responsibilities for those that you love and for other people in your life. And to the Hannahs, um, you know, those with a long history of uh, this disappointing um, dis dis expectations not met, no matter how many people try to help you through your issue, it, it just doesn't seem to go away. And your issue seems bigger than all of the encouragement that all these people are bringing to you. It just, isn't, that just doesn't work. Today's message is to every frustrated fixer and to every broken-hearted Hannah, 
all in the same message. And if you pay close attention, I think you're going to find out that all of us identify with both of those people at some time in different ways. We've been the frustrated fixer trying to fix something that's outside of our control and doing all we know how to do, but it's still not getting resolved. And um, we've also been known what it's like to, 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 when we should be happy because of the things that God's doing in our lives and things are going well, but there's still that one thing and it's important and it's deep and, and all of the things going right don't seem to outweigh that one thing, that one thing. And if you relate to Elkanah, and by the way, men are not the only fixers, okay? Um, it's terrible when no matter how much you pour into someone to make them happy, it just seems to evaporate. It just doesn't seem to get any traction, doesn't, doesn't go anywhere. You know how much love, no matter how much attention, no matter how much affection you pour out, it's just not reciprocated or appreciated. Have you ever felt the frustration of loving somebody as much as you can and, and they weren't able to receive it? They couldn't actually receive it? You know, you love and, and it just kind of feels like it bounces back. When you're with an unhappy person and whatever you do, um, they don't seem to want to be happy. And, you know, there's a little more frustrating for um, a man who's built to conquer and win than um, there's really nothing more frustrating than, than to realize he can't win in the relationship that he's committed his life to. Men take that as a sign that they're failing. They, 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 take, it, they take it personally, you know. What's wrong? Why, why aren't you happy? And they, and they take it personally. And, and Elkanah is frustrated because he cannot fix, fix this woman that he loves more than life. And the Bible sh- says very clearly that he was going out of his way to show her, to, to demonstrate his love to her. And it didn't seem to do any good. She's, she's still in bed. The covers are pulled over her head. She's still weeping. She's still wailing. And she's not getting any better, even though Elkanah gives the best of himself. And that's frustrating, whether it's you know, your wife or your husband or your, your kids or your best friend. It's frustrating when you're giving all you have to give, and it's not getting any traction. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm a terrible plumbing fixer, but um, I've given my life really to help people um, get their sea legs spiritually, so to speak, and help them with spiritual problems. And, and it really hits me hard when, when I look at, at, you know, what I do. And I mean, I can preach the best sermons I know how to preach, and I can, can pour my heart into ministry the best ways I know how. And still somebody who, somebody could sit under that kind of, you know, could sit under the teaching, and then just one day, decide to get up and leave their family, to, to um, ignore everything that they've been taught about how to be faithful to God. I, I can still recall one period um, back where two weeks back-to-back different men in the church where I ministered both decided, I'm gonna, they left their family. And I looked at that, just, you know, I thought, okay, you're leaving your family. And yeah, I'm out of here. And next week, another one, I'm leaving my family. And, and it's like, I, I felt like a failure. I felt like I'd failed. And that's kind of like where Elkanah's frustrations are right now. Verse 8, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you weep? Why are you, why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? The thing is, there's something broken in her. But he interprets it as some sort of indictment against him. 
Now, we know there was nothing wrong with his ability to father children because he got them through Penina. It, it involves him, but it's not um, about him. The practical point number one for us today is it's not always about you. It's not always about you. We get frustrated, you know, even exasperated, when we try to make an issue that, that is not about us, about us. <laughs> You're frustrated because you've interpreted somebody else's brokenness as uh, an indication of your failure. And that in itself can kind of set us on this cycle of condemnation and maybe even paralysis because you know, there's nothing I can do right and, and nobody loves me and nobody appreciates me and, and, and nobody's thankful for what I do and we kind of, kind of get into this. And, and, and that viewpoint starts by asking the question, what am I able to do for them? What am I going to be able to do? Now, that's very noble. But the fact is, sometimes it's not about you. Sometimes it's not about you. When you're dealing with people who are broken, people who are hurting, compassion is, of course, the thing to do. But we have to also realize that there are broken things, there are broken places in, in our lives sometimes that pollute our ability to fully receive love. It's not always about you, Alcana. I know you're exasperated and frustrated and, and you're doing all you can, but it's not always about you. And, you know, Elkanah, maybe the reason that she's not cheerful today is she's just tired. And it's not because you're a bad husband. And... Um, She's, she would say it to you. You know, it's not about you. I've got another problem. I've got an issue. I've got this other worry. And no amount of steak and no amount of sausage is going to fix this. I want a baby. And it's not here about a person disappointing Hannah. It's about a purpose that's frustrated in her life. And the sooner that we realize that about people that many times their response to you is not about you, sooner than we're free to actually help them with their problems. Psychologists call that circumstance being enmeshed. Enmeshed. Being enmeshed is where you're, you know, you're so tied up, so wrapped up in something that's not your place to be that you, you, know, you can't fix somebody's you know, baby problems with more steak. You, you, you can't fix somebody's problem. You can't fix somebody's heart with more words or even more of you. Sometimes more of you isn't the answer. For every frustrated fixer, for every um, Elkanah, for every enmeshed parent looking at somebody that you can't fix, for every mother of a child um, that you can't seem to get to, here's what God would say. He wants his job back because, frankly, you're not very good at it. It's his job, not yours. <laughs> the problem is, right, this moment <laughs> in this message, you're all thinking, well, he's talking to this guy sitting next to me. And they're thinking, I hope she's hearing this. Um, I hope she's paying attention. But, because we're all frustrated fixers. And the one you're trying to fix is thinking, why are you trying to fix me? You can't even fix yourself. <laughs> But while we're all trying to fix each other, God's saying, um, would you please get out of my way? Um, I'm the fixer. I'm the one 
who has the ability to put shattered lives back together again. You know, I worked for someone one time who seemed to, to never be satisfied. He could seem never to be happy. I tried, and I gave everything I, I had, um, and he was still unhappy and still not satisfied. It was never enough. And one day this light went on in my head, you know. This isn't about me. And the next time the person, he literally said to me, do you want me to be happy? <laughs> and with all of the respect and um, maturity that I could muster, which sometimes isn't that much, but I, I think I was mature in this instance, I said, listen, you can keep me, you can, you can promote me, you can demote me, you can get rid of me, but I can't keep you happy. It, it, whatever in my role is, that's my role. I will do my role. I, I will serve you. I will obey you. But, but your happiness is your role, not mine. <laughs> it's a hard conversation, but it was loving and it was received. My, my, mood, my, my mood changed. My outlook changed as I felt I, I was calmer. I was more peace-filled. Weight came off of me that was never supposed to be on me in the first place. And I actually became way more effective in actually helping him. One day I was cheerful and I remember watching and he was struggling. And he says, you know, what are you so happy about? And um, it reminds me that sometimes misery loves company, right? I mean, you know, don't you want to join me in my misery? And I don't think that was the intention. But, you know, why are you hurt, so happy when I'm hurting? You know, how are you finding this strength? To fixers, here's, here's the deal. God's going to set you free if, if you'll only listen to him when, when he tells you it's not your role to be their hope. <laughs> God's saying that's my role. And it's your role to walk them through the pain. Walk through that pain with them. But it's not your role to be their hope. The minute that you let God do his role and you do yours, you're free to support to be the support that, that, that you need to be. And it doesn't mean you don't care. It means you trust God to, to know that there are some things that only he can do, only he can touch. Point two, there are some things, some needs only God can fill. You know, for every man who's frustrated trying to make your wife happy and you don't seem to be able to get anywhere with it. And for every woman who wants to make your man feel successful and all you hear from him is negative talk all the time. And for every child who's trying to make your parents proud and they'll never give you those words of affirmation that you want to hear. And for every parent trying to get your child on the right path and they won't seem to follow. You know, and there is a time to take responsibility and say, what am I doing wrong in this situation? But there are also some situations where it's just too deep for us to touch, no matter how much we care. And in behalf of, of all the Elkanas in the room that would like to say something to the Hannahs, I think they would say, I, I love you, but I can't complete you. I want to be good to you, but, but I can't be God for you. And it doesn't mean I don't care, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean I'm going to stop trying, it doesn't mean I'm going to stop praying. I love you as much now as I've ever loved you. The whole concept of, of being romantically completing somebody else, I think that's really a destructive concept. I, I get the romance of that. But I really believe that only God can know our heart completely. 
Psalm 139 is one of my favorites. You've searched me thoroughly, as the Amplified Version adds, and have known me. God is the one. And today, the voice of the Lord is saying to, you know, exa- exasperated Elkanahs, you've got to release yourself. You've got to relieve yourself of God's responsibility. When you make yourself a fixer and you're operating, you know, when, when you, you, you think you're the fixer, you're, you're way outside your pay grade. Only God can fix some things. Then there's Hannah. Now, we can relate to Hannah in a number of ways. No, you know, matter, she's, you know, the Hannah in us is saying, no matter what God does for me, there's always this, you know, I see him doing it for other people and something that I'm hoping for, something that I'm waiting for, and I want God to accomplish in my life, and I don't see it happening, and maybe it's a broken heart, and maybe it's, maybe it's a dream, maybe it's some kind of hope. And then sometimes the Hannah's, you know, we get mad at ourselves and we're disappointed with ourselves thinking, you know, with all that God's given me and all he's done for me, I should be happier. And, and now I'm mad at myself because <laughs> I'm not as grateful as I should be. And I start to whip on myself. And, and, and the, the challenge of being the Hannah, the, the risk for the Hannah is that you can ruin good relationships by expecting anyone to give you what only God can give you. When somebody's brokenhearted, no amount of encouragement can fix it because a broken heart leaks. You know, um, Compassion helps, but a, a broken heart can't be fixed by words. No matter how much meat, no matter, no matter how, many, how many words Alcana gave to Hannah, it was not going to help her. It just didn't help her. And at some level, and at some times, we're all brokenhearted Hannahs, and we live under this illusion, you know, if I could just get this person to say the words that I need to hear... I'll be fulfilled. Problem is, you really won't. You really won't. It's like, it's like drinking salt water. The more you drink salt water, the thirstier you become. It's, you know, if you're an alcoholic, the solution isn't to just have one drink because you're going to want more and more and more. If you're addicted to affirmation, people saying nice things to you, the solution isn't to just, just get, a, get enough to tide you over. The solution is to find a source that when you drink it, your thirst will be quenched. You will never thirst again. <laughs> I, I thought about bringing a couple things and doing an example here. A glass bottle of water and a hammer, and I was going to you know, make a mess, and I decided, no, I could just talk this through. So picture with me a hammer and a glass bottle of water. I mean, if I'm thirsty, and I am right now, I would take the glass bottle of water Have a drink. It works great. However, and then if I had a hammer and I needed to drive a stake into the ground, I would take the hammer and I would pound it down. It would work great. But if I tried to take a drink from the hammer, I'd be very disappointed. And if I tried to pound the stake into the ground with a glass bottle of water, it would shatter pieces all over the place. It just wouldn't work. And that's us with relationships. We expect them to fulfill sometimes needs that they were not uh, created for. And, um, you know, God sends people into our lives, a, a son or a daughter or a husband or a wife or a boss or an employee or a friend. And relationships within their design, within their design context are really good. But instead, we somehow try to, to use them in a purpose outside of God's original design. And we use them to drive in 
to the ground a stake of our identity or our affirmation or our security or our happiness. And what happens when we do that is we fail to drive the stake into the ground, and of course the relationship is shattered into a lot of pieces. And some of us have broken, you know, maybe many relationships because we've never settled within our heart that people are not intended to fulfill you or complete you. People are not intended to touch the place that only God can get to. <laughs> we look at people around us and we say, well, why don't you understand my needs and you know, minister to me and before I know them and we're pounding and we're pounding and we're pounding and then we're surprised when the relationship breaks. We try to turn a good thing into a God thing and we try to turn human encouragement into some sort of heavenly affirmation and that doesn't work. But God does work. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. For Hannah, you know, you just got to bring this one to God. You, you got to bring this one to the only fixer who can put it back together. Otherwise, you just wear yourself out and everybody around you. So she was a pretty smart woman, Hannah was, and she figures that out. And if you read on, you're going to see that she goes to God for help. She goes to church, basically, and she talks to God, and she puts her faith in him, and she declares this. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. There is no one, no, no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. There's another place that that same word for rock, and which means a fully protected place. It's like on a cliff. Um, another place is Psalm 62. He alone is my rock, and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. And, you know, I've got some good news for you, and that is that when Jesus hung on the cross, he provided a fix for your need for affirmation or your need for a baby or your need for and fill in the blank. In the deepest places, and in his, his fix is for the most permanent solution. And it doesn't, you know, that, that need in you doesn't have to be broken anymore. It doesn't have to be empty anymore because Jesus can fill it all. I think today there are people that are tired of the frustration of being a fixer. And, um, you know, you haven't been able to fix it. You've only made it worse. You know, when I try to fix something I can't control, I just make it worse. And the only real solution is to surrender back to God. You know, when I surrender back to God the part I can't control anyway, then I'm able to play the part that I'm called to play in that whole thing. I think some of you um, Elkanas need a very simple chat with somebody in your life today, and it goes something like this. Now, muster up patience and tenderness and, and, and smile when you say it, but, you know, I love you, but I can't complete you. I, I, I've been trying to do God's deal here, and now I need to trust God to do what only he can do. I love you, and I'll walk with you, and, but I can no longer try to handle God's part of this, of fulfilling you. And some of you brokenhearted Hannahs 
need to have a conversation with somebody that you love, and, um, and it says, you know, I, I'm no longer going to hold you responsible for the brokenness in my life. You know, I've been frustrated with you I've, I, I, because of something that's been broken in me. And now maybe you fear having that conversation because if you tell them that, they'll quit trying to care for you. You need to know that they love you. You need to know that they'll sti still be loving you. The thing is, they've already shown that to you. By the way, you don't really want them trying to fix something that they can't fix anyway, any more than you want me to come to your house and work on your plumbing. <laughs> no to that. You want God in there. And you know he's better at fixing any person, and that's true anytime, anywhere. So some of you Hannahs will be personally freed up when you go to somebody and you say, you know, I've been putting weight on you that, that you weren't designed to carry and I've been trying to get you to fulfill a need. I've been, trying, I've been frustrated with you and I've been taking it out on you and I need to lean back into the Lord. And your appropriate response will be, well, I need to get out of God's way too because I've been stepping in and getting in his way. The beautiful thing about all this is that when I truly learn that I'm not the fixer, I then become can become an effective instrument of the healer, the healer. You know, when I stop trying to um, bring people into my situation to fix me, I can actually receive what, what they do have to give, and I'm no longer frustrated about what they do not have to give but God, because God never put it in them. Quick, we're almost done, but I need a just quick short prayer, and then we'll wrap up. Jesus, you are the one who fixes only you can fix the broken heart. Only you can fill the need. Step in, Lord, as, and do that as we step out of the way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Eventually, Hannah had the baby that she was praying for. She got her baby. And when she got her baby, she dedicated her baby to the Lord, who is the one who gave it to her to begin with. That's where most Mother's Day um, Hannah messages go down that trail. And what's impressive here isn't um, that she dedicated her baby to the Lord after she was given the Lord. What's impressive is that Hannah ded dedicated her situation to the Lord before the, 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 the provision was ever evident to her, before she ever saw and knew she was going to have any baby. She trusted God. And that's the true, the true test. Do you really trust God? Or if the person that you trust never does for you or gives to you what you think they should do. It, it, are you going to be okay simply because um, you found peace in God without respect to whether or not he gives you what you think you're supposed to get? If you get it, great. But if you don't, you're still okay because your help comes from the Lord. Psalm 121, it comes from him. Now, we're going to pray in a minute, and I just want to let you know that um, there's a resource available on the church website, and there will be instructions here for where you can download it. And it's basically a list of scriptures, and they're encouraging scriptures, and they fall into three categories. The Lord is strong, do not fear. Trust the Lord for deliverance and healing, and look forward and believe. That's available if you want to download it, um, and it's just there for you. Now, um, I want to pray. If you're Elkanah and you're exasperated or, or Hannah and you're brokenhearted and you're ready to give that to God and adjust your expectations for the people around you, um, pray with me. And I'm going to lead you in this. And, um, and so let's pray. Lord, 
we give it back. Lord, please fix it. We give it back to you. And before you fix it, please also fix me. That's something that you know more about than I do. Heavenly Father, I, I call on you to meet our needs like only you can. Heal our hearts, Lord, like only you can. I release these expectations that I've put on other people to fulfill my needs, and I look to you, Lord, to fulfill me like you've always planned to do. So, Lord, fill us with life. Thank you that you love us enough to, to build us, to be, make us today more like, like Christ than we were yesterday, and hopefully tomorrow we're more like Christ than we were, to, were today. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.